Welcome to Two Discount Grocers and a Microphone. I am Mike, and with me as always is... Dylan. How's it going? Hey, doing well, Dylan. Doing well, thank you. So, uh, how was vacation, first of all? It was good, and I can't really say relaxing because we had our two littles. It was exhausting, but very fun. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. And uh, so you came, you flew in back home yesterday, and uh, instead of going to where you should have gone this morning, which was your store after being gone for a week, you're here on the podcast with us. That, my friend, is dedication. Dedication. That's what my wife called it, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) No, yeah. I was going to go in last night, and... Man, even though it was only three hours different, uh, we were just beat. And we tried to stay up to keep the kids up so we can get back onto a normal schedule. Did not work. Uh, but I'm here, so. All right. Well, excellent. Excellent. Well, so today, uh, yeah. Tell us about our guest. We have Mr. Steve Wilson. Yeah, so. Steve Wilson. So, executive vice president. Right? Uh, head buyer, buyer extraordinaire, grocery outlet historian, guy's been around for forever. Uh, good dude. Right. And because it was such a long uh, recording with him, I think we're going to cut this intro a little bit shy uh, just so we can get into really the meat of the podcast, would you say? Oh, absolutely. I think we'd be doing everybody a favor for not <laughs> having to listen to us just talk about random crap. So, right. Absolutely. On that note, we give you Mr. Steve Wilson. Welcome. We have Mr. Steve Wilson. Steve, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. So I think we're going to start with just kind of telling us a little bit about who you are. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the softball question first. Right? right? Like Absolutely. It. Ah, uh, gosh. Uh, been with Grocery Outlet since 1994, so I'll be celebrating uh, my 30th year with the company in November. Um, currently, the uh, chief purchasing officer and one of the executive vice presidents of uh, of the organization, um, uh, and having a lot of fun. I started uh, when I first started with the company. I was a buyer, and uh, you know, worked in most of the different departments. Uh, managed. Uh, you know, director level uh, at each one of the functional areas, uh, you know, grocery, deli, frozen, started produce for the company. Um, saw tremendous growth uh, over that time frame. Um, thinking about it, uh, you know, second generation family owned company uh, when Peter and Stephen were running the company. 
uh, to when Eric and McGregor took it over as co-CEOs, a private equity transaction, another private equity transaction, an IPO in 2019, and here we are today. So it's been a, it's been a great journey. I've learned a lot, um, and I'm happy to be here to kind of share the story and answer any questions you guys might have. Well, we appreciate you being on as well. And and it's just nice to get people to say, yeah, we'll be on. We'll talk to you guys, considering this is a very high level podcast and all. So I <laughs> uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, Mike has a bunch of questions he sent over. And, and uh, I said, oh, a lot of those are inappropriate. We can't ask those. But you mentioned softball questions. So you want us to go big in the paint. I guess let's kind of start with uh, tell us your average day. What do you do for grocery outlet? This is going to go in hard, Dylan. Yeah, yeah. Turn the screws. I'm an I'm an early morning guy, so I'm up at the at the crack of dawn. I come into the office every day, and and I'm a kind of a creature of habit. I like to look at reports first and kind of gauge, you know, yesterday's sales and margin and inventory. And man, we have reports and uh, on just about everything that uh, that we can measure. You know, yesterday, how we're doing uh, week to day, quarter to date. And so I'm a, I'm a kind of a um, analytical junkie. And so I like to look at that. Uh, then I'll spend some time. Every day is a little bit different, you know, like Mondays, uh, you know, there's staff meeting days. So I'm in meetings pretty much all day talking to the grocery team, Deli, Frozen, Beer and Wine, GM, HBC. So I got to spread myself a little bit then. Uh, the senior leadership team, uh, we meet on Mondays um, and we talk about, you know, some of the tactical things that are going on with the company from a sales margin uh, inventory standpoint. And then you have some strategic to cut discussions on occasion, uh, you know, long term futuristic type uh, discussions on the company. And so uh, every day is a little bit different. I, um, man, I tell you, uh, I wake up with tremendous enthusiasm each day. I can't wait to get into work. There's always something to be done, uh, as I'm sure as you guys go into your store every day, right? Uh, workers comp situation or people calling in sick or the ad that broke yesterday. So, um, you know, never a dull moment. Absolutely. I just read Mike's agenda for the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, so, so now you're, yeah, you're definitely, you've, Within grocery outlet, your your high level, your your planning, kind of what's coming down the pike, what direction we're going, you know, all that type of stuff. You started out as a as a did you start out as a buyer? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, you started uh, out as a buyer. So well, here's an interesting. Yeah. I, uh, my association with grocery outlet, I sold. Uh, I was with PepsiCo for about five years. Had about five different jobs. My last job, I was a regional sales manager in the Bay Area. And Pepsi was going through, remember, uh, you guys are young guys, so you probably don't remember <laughs> this. So back in the early 90s, we started putting uh, best if used by dates on products. And we were following the Budweiser guys. So Pepsi had this initiative called PQI, Product Quality Initiative, in which we put best if used by uh, dates on all our PepsiCo products. And we couldn't ship them to our frontline customers. And, you know, we were pulling stuff out of the trade and it, killed me to pour, uh, you know, product down the drain. And so uh, I stumbled upon um, a grocery outlet. You know, we cut them a great deal. We were selling, you know, products for like, I don't know, 50 cents for a six pack and they were selling it for 99 cents. 
and I uh, got to understand the organization of the people. Paul Miller, who uh, was recently promoted uh, to senior vice president of purchasing, was an assistant buyer back then. He worked for this guy, Bennett Burke, who ultimately hired me, but I would sell product to Grocery Outlet, and I was happy to sell it 10 cents on the dollar because it cost me money to dispose of the product. And so from an association standpoint, you know, Grocery Outlet was doing Pepsi a solid. Uh, about a, I don't know, about a year later, you know, Bennett, uh, who was Paul's boss, gave me a call and said, hey, our beverage guy, uh, no longer with the company, we like your creativity and and you, you kind of know us. What do you think about joining Grocery Outlet? And I was like, yeah, thanks a lot. But, you know, Pepsi was a Fortune 15 company, 10 company back then. And so it was like, you know, David and Goliath's situation. However, uh, Grocery Outlet has always been a little on the tenacious side. He bugged the hell out of me for months. And finally, I said, all right, let's, let's see what you guys, you know, have. And talked to my wife, who also worked at Pepsi. She had been there for like 13 years. We just got married. Uh, we are thinking about having a family. Pepsi is a hard-charging company. Uh, in which it was normal to work six days a week mm-hmm. in the summer, 12-hour days. And it was kind of a grind, but you get used to it. You're, you're numb to it. And thought long and hard and, and decided uh, to give Grocery Outlet an opportunity. And I learned my first lesson in negotiations. Um, um, and I'd never been a buyer before. I was always on the sales side. And so we went through a series of interviews and Bennett said, all right, Give me a salary range. You know, what are you, uh, what are you looking for? You know, X between X. And I said, well, you know, this would be great. And I gave him this and, uh, you know, a, a really stretch uh, salary. He said, all right, let me, let me talk to some folks about it and get back in touch with you. He called me five minutes later and he gave me the top level of my salary range. And the first, your first thought was, oh, I, I hate when they answer yes that quickly. I, I hated that. And I, I took that lesson and I apply it today. And, I, and you know, we're going to go through a scenario uh, in which I'm going to make you guys buyers uh, later on in the discussion. Oh, okay. Excellent. Element Excellent. Of a buy, and you're going to tell me how you negotiated for, uh, with that buy. But my point is this. If you... Um, from a buying perspective, if you are uh, an aggressive buyer and you offer $10 a case for something, it's virtually impossible to buy it for eight, right? Because you started the mark here. Mm-hmm. So I learned a lot of lessons in that negotiation. Um, it still worked well for me. And 30 years later, here I am. So, you know, Dylan would make an excellent buyer because let me just tell you, uh, he runs by, oh, he runs his purchases by me, and he's like, when he was looking at buying his house when he moved, he was like, "Yeah, I the next question. Offer, I think I'm gonna offer like 130k under. I think I think it'd probably be fine." <laughs> this guy's well, always more like, baby, but uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so with with buying, so you you, I mean, you've kind of been around that for from jump then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah. how important are relationships in? buying oh my gosh um uh, number one uh and over the years it's it's probably the most important thing uh in the buying department because remember we're we're trying to buy 
products from manufacturers below their costs. And so people like to sell to people that they like and or respect. And so a traditional, you know, guy from Safeway, Albertsons, Kroger, you know, Costco, those buyers get to be hammers, right? They're at the top of the food chain. They demand things. We have a much different uh, approach. Uh, I think speed and responsiveness is important. Spending time getting to know people, uh, asking the right questions, and developing a connection. Uh, it's critically important. I highly discourage buyers from, you know, emailing offers or texting or using, you know, technology. You want to, you want to hear the desperation uh, in their voice, right? You want to develop a, a bond as quickly as you can with this person. Ask them, you know, about the personal life, you know, what their motivations are. And as you're developing that relationship, getting information out of them, you're also thinking about, you know, what you're going to offer, how you're going to posture yourself for the negotiation. And hopefully at the end of the day, it's a, it's a win-win-win, right? We're taking a problem product uh, that they have. We're giving them a cost recovery and a solution. So uh, the the Krog the the Krogers of this world uh, they sell to them because they have to, and you're trying to develop a thing where they sell to you because they want to. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you got to think about it this way. And they have to. Uh, it, it's a for profit. We're all in it to make mm -hmm. money, right? Right. And uh, there's a problem with the products that we're buying, either they're an overproduction, uh, there's a there's a shelf life issue with it, um, it's a packaging redesign. So they can't sell those certain opportunistic products to their traditional retailers. And so Grocery Outlet is about providing a safety net for manufacturers that have these opportunistic buys. And we approach it from you know much different angle than a traditional retailer. Right. You know, I kind of want to touch on that as far as that goes to our culture right there. You know, you'd mentioned you talked to your buyers about treating these, per, you know, the, these products like they're people and, and these people more on a personal level. And that's our company in a nutshell right there. I mean, it, it goes from the top all the way down to store level where you treat people like people and you're going to get better results. You're going to get better um, actions. It's going to work better all, all around. Um, you know, I come from the other world, you know, the Safeway world. And, and it was more about, Hey, we, we get this, we want this. This is what we, you know, we don't give really many options and, and it's more, kind of cutthroat how we dealt with vendors and something else. This yeah. company feels so different. And and again, hearing everyone in the company, including you, talk about, hey, people are people and you're going to get better results by working with them. Uh, it, it makes sense. It's not just lip value, basically. So yeah. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Has Do you feel like the has the need for relationships changed at all over the years or is it no. same, it's always, same? It always has been a route relationship. I remember, um, you know, not that long. Well, let's go back 20 years. I would go to trade shows, right? And, uh, you know, with the buyers. And we'd have conversations with manufacturers and, you know, we'd be doing a deal with them or something. And then, you know, another buyer would come by with, you know, the Safeway Albertson guy. Right in the middle of conversation, the guy would, you know, turn his back on me. I'm like, what? Well, we were just talking because we were less important. Uh, as we've grown over time, 
uh, you know, we're incredibly well respected. We got a stick like nobody's business. We're, you know, sniffing four billion dollars, and it, it allows us uh, to negotiate uh, in a in a more meaningful way with our suppliers. But you know, getting back to the relationship piece of it, uh, I, I think it comes down to respect and on both sides. So, so uh, on that the the respect that you get, you know, and, and the buying power as we continue to grow, uh, what, what level do we need to hit to kind of unlock that next level of buying? Or, oh, okay. okay. We are, we are absolutely there. Uh, you know, we have, you know, 450 mouths to feed. Uh, you know, we're a little disadvantaged, uh, uh, kind of uh, from a geography standpoint, most of our stores are out in the, you know, western part of the United States. Uh, we do have the thirty plus stores out east. We acquired, uh, you know, Milia's, you know, fifteen ish years ago, uh, with the purpose of not just supporting growth in the east, but tapping into, you know, product supply. A lot of manufacturers are, you know, um, you know, east of the Rockies, and so that was a, more of a strategic decision. Um, and now that, uh, you know, we have, you know, the store count that we do, uh, you know, we can equalize, uh, you know, our non-competitive advantage by negotiating, uh, FOB, um, and, and we really take, uh, the freight aspect out of it. So the more stores we have, the more buying power, uh, you know, I can say it, I think out loud, um. Uh, I was cautioned by our general counsel not to, you know, divulge any company secrets, but um, let me think about this one for a second. Yeah, I can say this one out loud. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're number one in the opportunistic space. Um, and as we grow stores, uh, you know, we certainly, there's enough product out there to support our growth in the future easily. You know, I, I think that's probably the biggest um, worry I think operators have with how fast we're growing. It always feels like, is it going to be to a point where it kind of taps out? Um, I, I know it was about a year or two years ago, kind of a little after COVID, we were all feeling like, gosh, there wasn't near enough stuff and everything else. And I want to knock on wood, but really this last year has mm. felt like it did five, six years ago where there is more than enough stuff. I mean, I'm having to up my trucks, uh, not based on just store need, just on what I want. And there's been a lot more in the order guides, all the order guides. It's been a lot better. And, and as we grow so fast, you know, 10, 20 stores a year and, and, and then some, it doesn't feel like it's starting to kind of dry up. So it's nice to hear yeah. the confidence in your voice too. That's, hey, we're going to get bigger and we're going to be just fine. It, it, it sounds very uh, promising for sure. Oh, absolutely bullish. Well, think about, you know, the last three years. So uh, it was March 13th. I'd really rather not think about the last three years. I'm just. <laughs> well, just from a perspective standpoint, because there's a, there's a, there's a silver lining behind it. You know, we, we closed our office down on Friday, the 13th, March, all the buyers, who come into the office every day, had to work remote. We were drinking through a fire hose. I think we responded um, in an exceptional way. I mean, because of COVID, manufacturers went from, let's say in their portfolio, they had 500 different SKUs they were manufacturing. Um, because of COVID and labor and all the issues behind it, they went from 500 to maybe 100 SKUs. 
And our model is about, you know, providing a safety net for those problem products. So, uh, you know, there were problem uh, product allocations. There was a lack of product supply. The benefit for Grocery Outlet, uh, from a purchasing standpoint, it forced us to expand our supplier network um, in a really meaningful way, develop deeper relationships uh, with folks. We were turning over rocks because we had a lot of mouths to feed. And in 20, you know, 20 uh, after March, I mean, we set a bunch of records. I mean, stores couldn't get enough product, right? And so you respond. Uh, so we had a great year in 2020. 2021, you know, we had to lap those big numbers and COVID we're still feeling the effects of COVID because manufacturers learned a lot of lessons themselves in that in, uh, during that time frame. And then 2021 was a tough year. And then last year was a challenging year in the respects that um, we saw inflation like nobody's business, right? I mean, uh, prices were going up left and right. Buyers were taking on, you know, price increases, negotiating costs. Uh, we had a really, really good year. Um, you know, last year, this year, uh, to your point, Dylan, we're getting back to, and manufacturers are getting back to kind of a steady state, uh, the flow of opportunistic product, man, I haven't seen it in a number of years. Um, and here's the thing that I want you guys to recognize and, and hopefully your fellow operators, we don't take everything that's offered to us, but as we grow stores, we can be the one-stop solution for these manufacturers. And, you know, if there's a concern about our ability to grow in the future uh, from an operator side or uh, a buying perspective side, when a buyer tells me that we have a relationship with every manufacturer out there and we're getting 100%, that's when we stop growing. And that ain't going to happen for a long time. There's always uh, a situation um, you know, where we can come in and provide a solution for a manufacturer. So uh, when you were talking about, you know, uh, we purchased Amelia's as a more of a strategic thing to mm -hmm. open up more East Coast buys, right? Yep. Correct. Uh, has, has the, is the East Coast in a position where that's really come to fruition or is there, are we still open unlocking more opportunity as the number of stores grows over there? Or does it take like warehouse and that kind of stuff to fully realize the East Coast? We we unlock uh, we're unlocking a tremendous amount of product that you know you know buying for thirty stores and supporting thirty stores back there it's really hard. So what we do is we use that facility as a freight forwarding warehouse. We land product out there, we scrape it, uh, and we pull it back to you know either ninety five, ninety seven, or. 997 or the refrigerated warehouses. So, um, you know, we're getting to critical mass, uh, whereas we may not have to uh, shuttle as much uh, product back to the West. It's easier to buy for, you know, 100 or 150 stores. And, you know, you wave a magic wand and we will have that back in the East and sometime in the future. Gotcha. Go ahead, Dylan. Is there a, I mean, is there kind of a Midwest area that we're looking at as far as another kind of big warehouse to kind of be a, a triangle transition for mm -hmm. delivery trucking and everything? Or is that something that can be said or discussed? You know, we're always looking for opportunities to strengthen um, our buying relationship with our suppliers. And oftentimes, 
it's on their dime. You know, if it's coming from Florida or Chicago or Atlanta, it's on their dime and freight. Um, you guys, you guys fully recognize there's a cost behind freight. And, uh, and so we're always looking for a solution. One of the solutions is, all right, we'll pick up the freight, uh, you know, reduce your costs and we'll take on the burden of bringing it across. Um, I think potentially in the future, there could be a freight forwarding warehouse somewhere in a geography that'll allow us to be um, even stronger from a procurement standpoint. We're constantly looking at how do we make um, it easier for suppliers to do business with grocery outlet? Because if we, you know, deduct or, you know, you know, all the things that traditional retailers do, it's a reason for people not to do business with you. And so we want to make it turnkey, simple, uh, and easy. Because oftentimes, you know, they're selling below their cost. They're already not liking that, right? And so right. at least let's be fast, courteous, uh, and responsive to their uh, to their needs. And, and also, let me tell you, uh, you know, oftentimes, and, you know, I'm not an operator, but I, I have tremendous empathy and I know a lot of the operators. And so um, I think that I understand uh, as well as a non-operator can be what you guys go through. And I know the frustration of getting pushed, you know, undesirable product or, you know, short shelf life. Uh, understand our view, we got to take the good with the bad. And sometimes there could be a booger in the in the great stuff and, you know, we don't sell anything out of the warehouse, and that's why we have to push it to you. It's a, it's a kind of a fine art, uh, you know, behind uh, what we do. If we just took all the good stuff, right, uh, they're going to look somewhere else to find someone that's going to provide a better solution. So if what I'm hearing is, so if I had to pin who's most responsible for the forces that, that uh, operators face, <laughs> is it you or Hank? Who do I? Uh, my partner in crime. <laughs> uh, I, I tell you what, uh, Hank and the planning team, uh, they've been, we've had planners for about 10 years. Hank's been here for about four four years. We're starting to hit our stride here. The buyers are responsible for buying product um, in conjunction with the planning department to help us understand how much we should buy and what warehouses we put it in. And then they ultimately, you know, uh, push it out to the stores when sales don't meet expectations. And we're not perfect. We're getting a lot better. Uh, but it's a, it's a tricky business. Uh, expiry is always going to be part of the deal. Pushes are always going to be part of the deal. Uh, you know, it, it, my preference is to allow the operator to pull 100% of the product. But that's just not the reality um, of the business model. And, uh, you know, again, we don't sell anything out of the warehouse and, and if we need to, you know, throw it away in the warehouse or reduce it and push it out to the stores, I'd rather get something out of it. So you're also well, dealing with them. The answer from me, it's like, I'm kind of responsible. <laughs> you know, you didn't fall into my yeah. yeah, you didn't fall into my trap. I was yeah, trying to start yeah. something between you and the planning team. You know, no, no, uh, they are uh, they are great partners, and you know we don't play the blame game. Uh, we'll make a mistake on occasion, and you know our eyes are bigger than our stomach. Um, you know, a great example of that is the Bornana deal. 
which is uh, there was a good lesson learned in that one. Uh, will we make that mistake and that magnitude ever again? Not in my lifetime. Uh, but, uh, you know, we did learn something from that. And, uh, you know, life's all about, um, you know, smart people learn from their mistakes and hopefully not rec- uh, uh, replicate it. So, you know, we, we've talked uh, a lot about basically it sucks to get forces at times where you get so much, you know, but, you know, as an operator, I think we oftentimes forget about how many of those big buys we make ourselves that aren't as good as we thought, or we just go way too crazy. Um, I know I do it all the time. Um, I don't know about Mike, uh, but I, I mean, I get very aggressive when I order and I just, I start thinking, Oh, this is going to be the best thing ever. And I bring in just tons because I have ambition to sell a, a ton and, and you gotta, you gotta think a big store to be a big store kind of mentality. I like um, that. And, and there are times when we just, we just order too much and it happens with the buyers. I, we just, we take it more personal. I think cause we're like, Oh, we don't need this. We don't need this. But you look at how much good stuff is in the order guide. How many times you're like, I need more of this. I'm limited of this. I, I think I complain more about being limited on good items than I do about being forced bad items, you know, a hundred to one basically. So uh, it happens. It's, it's part of the business. So keep, keep swinging hard. Yeah. I like it. I like it. So, you know, and I think it's always obvious, easy to point out home runs and then obviously yeah. things that strikeouts, things that didn't work out. But can you recall a, a when you had a tough call on a buy that you ultimately did not move forward with? Oh, Because I would imagine there's a lot of those buys where you just kind of know, nah, that's the price isn't right, the quantity, yeah. whatever it is. But was there was there something where you're like, oh, I want to pull the trigger on this, but I can't? Yeah. Oh, that happens all the time, all the time. Uh, You know, if it's ultimately not good for grocery outlet, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to put, you know, our stores or company in jeopardy. Uh, And and there are deals that, you know, we negotiate hard and we can't get to a a compromise that works for us and the supplier. And so um, answer your question. Yeah, I think it happens uh, frequently. you know, which, uh, you know, ultimately uh, the supplier has to, you know, get rid of the product um, and, and they may come back to us. And I, I, I do recall a, a number of deals where, uh, you know, where it just doesn't work. And two months later, they come back and they say, hey, all right, uh, well, your offer was pretty good. Uh, you know, we'll take it. And I'm like, well, we lost two months worth of shelf life on our, our new offer is even less. So your first loss is your best loss. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting business. No deal is exactly the same. Uh, there's a lot of nuances behind uh, the products that we buy. A little bit of art behind it. Gotcha. So, uh, you know, we talked about you know, kind of good buys and not so good buys, and when you walk away, how do you, how do you measure success in buying, and is it just metrics or are there other factors involved? Hmm. Wow. There's a lot of metrics, right? And it's, it goes beyond, you know, uh, sales and purely margin. Uh, it's about value um, and saving people money. Um, it's, it's, there's, there's lots of nuances behind, you know, what is success? How it's, how much did you buy? How quickly did you sell it? 
Uh, did you fill a gap? Um, you know, what's a save up to it uh, on the product? Uh, did it excite people? Um, but to answer your question, I think the metrics are uh, are pretty well defined, uh, and that does you know really help us define success. So, yeah, I would say the metrics are pretty important. Um, you know, behind the buys. So, how do you balance that uh, margin versus sales, and when to you know when you're setting these when you're setting prices and you're trying to balance all those things and the savings to the customer and and all that kind of stuff. How how do you look at that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, everything starts with value, right? If we're not, I mean, why do people shop grocery outlet? Save me money, stretch my food dollar, uh, give me more than uh, in in terms of value than other retailers out there. And from an opportunistic standpoint, you know, when you're buying it at you know 50, 60, 70 percent off, it's easy to do. It's easy to provide value and margin. Um, on the MTO standpoint, uh, you know we're not buying it uh, significantly or better than a traditional retailer, and that's where we have to make a conscious decision to um, invest in margin. Um, we still want to show value. It's harder to do um, when you're buying regular goods, and so the only way to provide value is to take a, a shorter margin on it. Um, you know, am I a big fan of like you know the coat? You know, 18 and 20 packs that we're selling right now? No. Do I think it's a smart thing for us to do to drive traffic into the store? Hopefully, not just to buy that, but to buy um, other things that support, uh, you know, the 4th of July holiday. We've done it in the past. I, you know, I, you know, Paul and I, uh, he runs the grocery team. We had a long conversation about it. It's a huge investment. Uh, we've looked at history on that item, and we've done it a number of times. We did a similar promotion for, you know, Super Bowl. And when you look at the total gross margin investment, the total basket, the total traffic that we drive in, the economics works. It's a rounding error. Uh, but I can see from an operator standpoint, it's like, shit, why do I want to, oops, why do I want to sell something? <laughs> And, and make no money about it. You got to take, got to step back and take more of a, a global look at it and say, what are the benefits um, of, of me selling this? And, you know, we have operators, we work, we don't do anything in a vacuum, right? We've talked to the operations folks, Pam and John's team were in the other day. And I said, hey guys, you know, we're getting a lot of pushback from operators. I need you to help influence and, and, and share you know, why we're doing this, put a reason behind it. And when people have a reason behind it and fully understand it, they're more apt to be successful. And so we have stores, you know, yesterday it was, you know, first day of the ad, it lit it up. And we had, you know, a handful of stores that were selling a lot and some that didn't sell any. I'm like, huh, I wonder how much they had in their store. That's a conscious decision. It's part of the independence you know, we do have it on ad. There's uh, an expectation from a customer standpoint. Um, yeah, but it's it's part of the magic behind the uh, the independent operator agreement. So now, one of the stores that didn't sell any was at Mike's store asking for a friend. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, 
No. I should have looked at McMenamin no. Falls, but I didn't. I'm kidding. Uh, it, the first thing I did uh, you know, this morning, I wanted to look at you know the newly created POs and, and how, how the ad items perform. We're off to yeah. the races, by the way, where I think we're going to have a, a spectacular sales mm-hmm. uh, Friday, Saturday, uh, end the quarter um, on a really good note. And then, you know, we celebrate for a day and then we start Q3. Yeah, I, you know, I'm all about supporting the ad for sure. You know, and you're throwing it out to customers and they, they have an expectation. It's frustrating if they come in, it's not there. Uh, but, and we've talked about this a little bit on my, you know, personally, my feelings about coupons at a store level. Mm. Like I don't do them and versus coupons or, you know, deals at a, at a corporate level. And I guess maybe give me your thoughts on this. I've always viewed couponing at a grocery outlet as I've, if people aren't shopping your store, it's not because of price. It's something else. Mm. And so I feel like if I'm spending a lot of money on coupons, I'm yeah. kind of attacking the thing that we've already got going for us. And I should really be spending my money in other areas. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that, especially grocery outlet has a lot more resources than maybe your average operator does, right? You can do, you can walk and chew gum. You can do two things at once. Yeah, I love but, that. Th- but that's always been kind of my take on coupons is going forward is if I have to spend, if I'm going to spend dollars, I'm going to spend them in places that we're not as strong in because I don't think it's a, a price that is preventing that keeps people away from my store. It's something else. Interesting. Yeah. You know, that's the beauty of the independent operator agreement. You know, we have, you know, you get 10 people in a room and half will say they like coupons and half don't. Right. Who's, who has the right answer? Uh, all of them. Right. Me. I, I do. It's, it's, it's personal <laughs> preference. <laughs> but I tell you what, uh, you know, there's, their couponing is done by traditional retailers, right? It's about share of wallet, share of voice. And reason people, you know, do that is to drive people into the stores. And, you know, in the period that we're in right now where money's tight, you know, pseudo recession or what have you, uh, people are looking for a way to save money. And, and, and we save people money every day, right? We don't have to do the trickery, uh, but just know that other people are doing that. And they may, they may say, Oh, wow, it's 50% off at X retailer. Well, it's still higher than what we're selling the product for. Right. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a mind game with, uh, from a consumer standpoint, but I, I respect, uh, your opinion on that, Mike. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to say, you know, I agree or disagree with it. Uh, but I do respect your viewpoint. But it does sound like he disagrees with it. So, uh, no, I, I will say Mike and I are, are opposite on this. So, again, I come from more traditional. Um, we've done couponing. We do it at, at different times, different levels, and and to bring in new people. And, and Mike and I have had this discussion, oh, I'm sure 20, 30 times, you know, he, he kind of has the, you know, why would you do this? And, and for me, it's, well, for one, I grew up with this. Um, but also... I need to try things to bring in new people and, and, and some stores need more help than others. Uh, it's not just about your ad or your, your standard driving else. It's about trying to change the culture of the shoppers. I mean, so often people know you're there, but they don't make it their habit to kind of go in there. So you got to try kind of everything to bring them in. And, and I know a lot of, like you said, half, half a dozen one way, 
half a dozen the other. There's a lot of stores that say coupons don't work, but there's also a ton of stores that say, you know what, it's worked for them. Um, yes, do you really want to give away more money? Not really, but if it creates traction, if it creates a new customer, um, it's always hard to determine which are the new customers. It's always very muddied water as far as did it really help your sales? Did it really help your, uh, your, your traffic patterns? Um, but there have been many coupons that we've done that I feel like have created that next level of sales for us and it kind of continued on. Um, but I definitely think it's not for everyone in every store. So that's one area we are completely opposite on. But Yeah. Well, uh, I would ask you this, uh, Dylan, uh, how do you measure your success behind it? If you, if you're doing it and you're getting a result, how do you measure that? And if you are getting you know, a desired result, which is more frequency, a lifetime customer of, a bigger basket, yeah, why not continue to do it? But it needs to make, mm -hmm. you know, tangible sense. And so if you're measuring that you're getting a good result, have at it, right? And one thing we we did uh, to try to see if we could somewhat measure it is we would do a coupon for, you know, maybe it's two weeks or one month, and then we want to do any for the next two or three months to kind of see if it was a one-month deal and then it goes back to normal or are your comps better than they were the previous two months. I mean, there's a lot of ways to measure it. Uh, but I, I feel like the majority of the ones we have done have kind of created that next level um, mm -hmm. additional comps over the standard comps. But mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think also, uh, since Dylan has surpassed me in sales, then he that means he's just default right. I mean, I <laughs> as long as he's higher than me in sales, I can't really say anything. Uh, you know, you just, you know, look at the sales numbers, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Dylan, let me ask you this question. Did you, uh, was Gary uh, in the store before you took it over? Yes, he was. Uh, does he still float in there every once in a while? He does. He, he's in there probably weekly still. Pops oh, in and says hi. Yeah. Uh, well, tell him I said hi. You know, I will. I've known Gary for a long time. He, he had a lot of success in Klamath Falls. I hope he's doing well. Yeah. I will share with him. I'm sure I'll see him this week. Oh, great. So, I'm going to say hi. Cool. Uh, hey, okay. So something I've been wanting to ask you about, mm -hmm. kind of moving on here, uh, private label. I've heard you guys kind of talk about it a little bit here and there as a possibility. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know how far or close we are to it, and that's fine. But what role do you see private label playing in the product mix? Um, uh, do, you, do you see it as being a branding and growth opportunity or just more of a way to kind of improve uh, margins and consistency? Well, all right. Well, let me ask you a question before yeah. I answer your question. Uh, why do people have private label and who do you think is best in class uh, in terms of private label? And then I'll give you the grocery outlets. What we're going to do is different than what anyone else has done. Uh, and it's not replacing opportunistic supply. It'll support our future growth. Uh, it'll be incremental, uh, mm -hmm. creative, which means margin will be good behind it. Um, and it'll help us in our evolutionary process of how we're growing. So, so answer okay. my question. Yeah. For yeah. Here. Yeah. So to answer your question, I think, uh, originally I would have thought with the Safeway Albertsons, Kroger's, that kind of stuff, private label was, uh, bringing in house, you probably got better pricing more of a, that type of thing. I think Trader Joe's probably mm -hmm. does it better than anybody. And it's not just the uh, pricing and consistency and keeping 
in in house, it's a branding thing, and they've become mm -hmm. known for it. And that's kind yes. of the basis of my question a little bit there. Yeah. Um, and I think that actually, I don't think that people go to uh, Safeway to for their private brand, but people definitely go to Trader Joe's for the items that they have there that you can't get anywhere else. Well, yeah. yeah. and I'm, I think I'm going to go opposite. I think Trader Joe's probably has a better item for their private label, but I think that the Kroger brand probably, I mean, not just does more sales because it's, it's a bigger, uh, bigger facility, but I think has a bigger market share of their items. So I'm going to go with the bigger box style Kroger Albertsons. Well, well, uh, a couple of facts, uh, private label, a traditional retailer can make anywhere up from, uh, 20% to 27% of their overall sales. Uh, it is a margin play, right? They try to, some try to do national brand equivalent or, or better, right? So there's a quality aspect from it. Uh, we'll do something similar to that. Um, I was told not to mention other suppliers, but since uh, say TJ's is, is, is really good at what they do. There's their nuanced products uh, that I really like. They curate and create it. Um, there will be elements of that uh, behind what Grocery Outlet does in the future. Uh, we started the process. We started talking about it last year at the Roadshow and at, um, uh, at the annual meeting in February in Vegas. Um, we were still searching for, you know, kind of a pilot to fly that plane for us. I'm happy to announce, uh, and actually we had it on the last call, Don Davidson uh, spent, uh, you know, 20 some odd years at Albertson Safeway. Super smart guy. We're in the process of developing the uh, strategic roadmap. We're two months ahead of where I thought we would be at this time. And, you know, my initial thinking was we hire a really smart guy. You know, we, you don't know about people until you get them in. Uh, what a tremendous cultural fit. Um, he, you know, two ears and one mouth. He listens twice as much as he speaks. He's soaking it all in. He's talking to operators, op, uh, um, uh, folks in the operations team, everyone in the purchasing department. Uh, and we meet pretty frequently and, and we're developing that roadmap. Uh, we will do something, test and learn. Um, uh, we'll start slow. Uh, we'll probably make some mistakes along the way. But when you fast forward, and this is in more of the strategic viewpoint, you know, 10 years from now and, you know, a lot more stores than we have right now. You guys remember our BHAG doubling operator income. That was pretty exciting. You know, a thousand stores. Uh, it'll be a significant uh, part of our mix going forward. Um, and my thinking on it right now is other people uh, have done it well. You know, we put smart thinking, a good strategy behind it. There's no reason why we can't do it well. We will not make the mistakes that other retailers have made. Private labels have been around for 30, 40 years, right? I think there's right, great right. examples of what to do. Uh, and great examples of what not to do. Um, we will not operate in a vacuum. Uh, we will uh, solicit opinions. And, you know, I can see us, you know, designing product and sending it out to the operators, you know, a, a, a case of it, eat it, have your employees eat it. You know, what are your thoughts? 
don't want too many cooks in the kitchen, right? But um, I think as our uh, business partner, it's important for you to, number one, understand it uh, so you can communicate it to our customers. Uh, number two, uh, embrace it. Um, and it has to be good for you, uh, our customers, and the organization as a whole. And if we have those three shareholders uh, all checking the box on each one of them, it will be successful. I'm I'm so bullish on it. It's going to require uh, resources. You have a lot of smart people in the organization, but I've never done private label. Um, been in the retail business for you know 35 years. I understand it, but we have a, a, a true expert in Don. And uh, I think the reason he joined Grocery Outlet, how many people have created uh, a private label program themselves, right? This is like legacy building. Uh, and he jumped off a much bigger company, uh, as I did when I was at Pepsi, to go to little Grocery Outlet uh, because uh, the opportunities uh, are endless. Uh, it's, it's, I'm so excited about it. Um, but you know, like you said, Mike, we're going to chew bubble gum and walk at the same time. We're not abandoning, um, our current initiatives in terms of, you know, increasing our opportunistic share. That's the lifeblood of the company. There's a lot more to be done there. We will do that. Uh, we will continue all, along with our MTO, uh, initiatives in, in terms of expanded assortment. And we're going to fit uh, private label into that mix and migrate some of the uh, MTO stuff over there. We're going to come up with a brand that uh, people are going to be proud about putting on their table and sharing with, you know, friends and families during the holidays. It's going to take a while. Be patient. You sure. know, have a magic wand, but uh, it's it's going to be uh, you know real exciting. I like where so, we're at right now. But you like what's that? I like where we're at right oh, now. Okay. So more kind of, would you say more midterm or long-term? Obviously not short-term, but. Uh, shoot. Uh, it's, you know, we're still working on the strategy. We're still trying to, you know, develop outside resources and, you know, consumer studies. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's in the works right now. Uh, you know, could we develop, you know, 100, 200, you know, I, I, I'd be apprehensive to, um, say a number for next year. We sure. will be, we will have uh, items in our stores. Uh, hopefully, before the end of this year, testing it. You know, mocking some stuff up. You know, dipping our toe in the water, uh, learning. Uh, but next year, we'll be off to the races. And just think about it. All these other guys. It it took Trader Joe's like twenty years to develop them. You know their their uh, you know their brand and uh, the consumer confidence. Uh, it won't take us 20. It won't. We're going to do Okay, it. so you heard it here first. 200 items by the end of this year, I think. <laughs> uh, come on now. Don't, get, don't get me in trouble. <laughs> don't get me in trouble. I already, already broke one of the – I got this little cheat sheet. The Luke said not to talk about other suppliers. I've already violated. But you it said happens. no it one happens. else listens to this except for – Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Now, that's to say names too. We were going to say names. Said, yeah, well, yeah. I got yeah. you to say it first, and I just repeated what you. There you go. Right. Yeah, you you kind like, of edit that set me up for that it. one. Yeah. So, kind of talking about the private label. Go ahead and tell me what you think would be one of the best subclass categories of a private label. Like, would it be salty snack? Would it be? I, I mean, what do you think would be our top selling? Mm. Okay, I've been asked that question. 
uh, we were in a we were in a uh, an operator oper- operations uh, meeting a week or so a week or so ago, and and uh, that question was asked. And it, right now, I don't know, uh, but uh, and Don is slowly figuring that out. I would think about it this way. It has to be a high tonnage area, right? Because we're going to have to make commitments. It would be an area, I would think that maybe uh, we have a branded product that we're, you know, sub 20 margin, right? And we can insert this brand, have it be of good quality, good packaging and make higher margins off it. But I would say it's an area where, you know, it's not going to be a small insignificant area. It's going to be a department or a subclass that has volume that would be uh, that would benefit from a margin standpoint inserting uh, a private label. Holy smokes, we've had a lot of internal conversations about you know let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, let's you know we're, we're going to take a more strategic approach and understand you know volume commitments, uh, you know potential. Uh, profitability. Uh, there's a lot of components that come into it. I don't want to duck it. Uh, at some point in time, we'll stick a you know a, a flag in the ground, say this is what department, this is what subclass we're going to go in. And when we do it, I'd love to be able to share it with you guys. But you know, uh, probably a little premature right now. Fair enough. Um, yeah. And one more kind of just follow up with that. Uh, I feel like Trader Joe's kind of does more specialty private label. Versus the other big box store does more, you know, the the need customer versus the want customer. Do you see us going one way or the other kind of with it? Or are we going to just kind of go over the entire board? Or? Uh, we'll do a little bit of both. Okay. Uh, I think there's uh, branding opportunities uh, that, you know, it'll never be a grocery outlet label, but it'll be something identified with us. Um, and I think I, I do like the unique uh, and differentiated items that you can only find at that retailer's place. There's elements that uh, that will do. Now that that's really product development, curation, uh, and a lot of expertise in terms of you know ingredients and you know there's that's really complicated. Uh, that is not where we're going to start. Uh, we'll eventually get there because I think it's relevant. Um, it'll take us a little bit more time to do that. So we'll do. Uh, probably the easy uh, migration into uh, private label first, and then we'll get into the complicated areas, uh, you know, secondarily. You know, maybe uh, just like with Amelia's, maybe it'd just be easier if you just acquired Trader Joe's. Like, no big deal. Yeah, I got I got some walking around pocket money. <laughs> I, I, you know, we tried to we tried to solicit some of their buyers there. They have an interesting culture too, and uh, you know I don't think anyone ever leaves there. Um, so, uh, yeah. well, now that you've had your note of don't talk about Trader Joe's, and we've spent the last fifteen I'm, minutes. I'm going <laughs> to get my hands flat. Uh, hey, can I can I ask you guys a couple of questions? Yeah, yeah. Actually, I was just going to get to that. Oh, okay. Let me ask you. Let me ask you one more question, sure. okay? And then and then I want to hear the I want to hear your questions for us, okay? Um, with eye care and the implementation of the eye care system, you know, we have this uh, relationship between the operators and corporate and in the past, right. It's like, Oh, you type on email, you pick up a phone, you get a hold of somebody. You can't do that now because yeah. there's yeah. just way too many stores. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. you guys yeah. wouldn't get anything done, but 
how do you how has eye care impacted the buying team as far as communication with stores? Know. You know, uh, twenty years ago, pre eye care, you know, I knew every operator. I knew their first name, last name, their kids. And as you grow, uh, you can't have that same connectivity, uh, and you can't field that many phone calls. Um, so eye care is a necessity. It's the only way we can efficiently communicate uh, and receive communication from the store. Uh, I, I like eye care. Uh, I, I hope that, you know, we try to be respectful. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you're going to put in a request, uh, let's make sure it's, it's, it's meaningful. Um, yeah, I, I like eye care. It's, uh, it's the only way, you know, when you have a thousand stores, I mean, you know, it's, it's the only way to communicate. Uh, again, my ask is that um, because every time when eye care case is submitted, someone has to stop at some point in time and answer it. And when they're answering it, they're not doing their core job, which is developing relationships and buying product. And so we get, you know, us in IT, we get the lion's share of the, uh, of the eye care cases and you got to stop and you got to, you got to take care of it. Um, it's important because if you're asking a question from a clarity standpoint or there's an issue, we have to resolve it. We can't ignore it. Um, but it, it takes time and effort. And when you do that, you're not doing something else that is equally important or more important. So what, what percentage of the eye cares do you feel like maybe don't need to be there? Um, do I have to answer that question? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, you, there's, there's you did say be thoughtful. And yeah. so I would say yeah. that yeah. would say, would suggest that maybe there's not some thoughtful. I'm not asking you to call out yeah. anybody specifically. Yeah. Just, yeah, I've, I've, yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen a lot of them. Right. And, uh, it gets a little frustrating because, all right, they ask the question, you got to answer it somehow. Right. And, uh, I would just ask everyone, you know, just think long and hard. Uh, you know, phone an operator, a fellow operator, or, uh, you know, a DSM. Uh, and if, you know, you can't figure out the answer and I care, um, is probably the best way to get the answer to it. But yeah, I've seen some harsh things come over, uh, you know, the community boards and, you know, it kind of hurts people's feelings a little bit. Doesn't hurt mine. You know, I got tough skin, but, uh, I, I know the stress and strain, um, and there's always this healthy tension between, you know, corporate and the independent operators. There's no way of, 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 of getting away from it. I just want to keep it positive and, and folks to fully understand that we're not the enemy. Um, you know, we're in it to win it. Like you guys, your success is our success. You know, we want to grow sales profitably and uh, we want to be value oriented in everything that we do. So, you know, we're not the enemy. Um, hopefully we don't come across that way. And, and I, I, I know that on occasion we're like, why the hell do they do that? And, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and we get it the same thing. I hear, you know, buyers saying, you know, this store did this and blah, blah. I'm like, okay, all right, fix it. Right. Sure. Sure. All right. Well, uh, why you, you got some buying questions for us, I guess. So let's, uh, yeah, a couple. I'll get to the buying okay. one at the end because, uh, okay. Like I said, I'm always looking for good talent. I might pick you guys off. 
And by the way, I'm just going to let you know that. So you're the second second person, uh, corporate person behind John, and John did the same thing to us, and um, I failed miserably. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh well, uh, I'm much better at asking than uh, answering, but we'll see how it goes. Okay. So what's like you're saying is he wants to go first? Yes. Yeah, well, well, before we get into the buy, let me ask you a, a question on free. How much did? How do you guys look at freight in terms of expense? And I've always been curious, and then I'm going to say something that's probably really going to get me in trouble. But how do you look at freight uh, in terms, like when I go into a store and I see, you know, thin products on the shelves and, you know, out of stocks and empty back room, how much does an operator look at freight as a true expense? And in order to grow your sales, Right. If you take two truckloads, you continue to take two truckloads of product, let's say out of 97, uh, it's hard to grow your sales. You're eventually you're going to get the two and a half and then three. How much is the freight expense behind it prohibiting stores from taking that incremental truckload or, or split truckload? So I will speak for myself because I think as with the operator community, you, know, you have 470 something stores and 470 different opinions, right? So for me, um, freight is never a factor. Yeah. Freight charge is never a factor in that. Um, as a matter of, I mean, yeah, I, I, w I would not, I would not run lean to try and save myself freight because I think you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot more than anything over time. Uh, as a matter of fact, <clears throat> which I know the uh, I'm I'm sure that the uh, warehouse did, does not like, and I used to do it until they told me I couldn't do it anymore. Is I would take where we could do a truck and a half. We were at a point where we could do it. We could do a truck and a half like really well. And I said I want two full trucks, and if I only fill them three quarters of what the way, cool. I don't care. I'll pay that extra freight because I want the opportunity to, if I need more stuff to be able to get it, but I don't want to have to fill a truck just for the sake of filling it. Mm. Because I feel like, yeah, you know, you want to fill it as much as you can because you're paying the freight anyways. But I feel like if you're filling extra uh, of stuff that you don't need, but you're just doing it to fill a truck, you're going to eat those dollars in markdowns and throwaways and labor, uh, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, the very dis disjointed answer here <laughs> is that okay. it okay. does not have a factor in, in what we bring in, when we bring in, why we bring in. I would actually pay for a little extra freight to have that extra space to bring more in if I needed it. Got it. Got it. I like that and, answer a and real quickly, Mike said he's willing to pay a little extra freight. So if you want to take a little knife right off and send to him, uh, <laughs> feel free. Uh, uh, my answer, very similar, 80% of the same answer as him. I, I don't look at a different warehouse or whatever. If I want it, we're going to order it. Um, I, however, will max out our trucks. I mean, if if I have a full truck and I you know, have three pallets left, I'm going to bring in stuff. I'm going to bring in stuff that I know I can sell. Um, but I don't look at it as I want to skip this truck because I want to save a little labor or freight or whatever. I, I, I'm going to bring in what I need. I'm going to bring in what my store needs because over the, over the last uh, five, six years, I have realized that if we bring it in more consistently, 
we're going to sell it. And I don't want to miss out on one truck or one order because I'm worried about freight. Now, it's easy, I think, for us to say because we're in higher volume stores and freight isn't as big of a factor. Um, but I think if you start limiting yourself on trucks based on freight, you're going to miss out on so many items. You're going to miss out on variety. You're going to miss out on freshness. And so, whereas I'm not going to try to waste freight, I also need to max out and get more looks to the order guide, more, more deliveries. Um, but yeah, I don't, I also don't look at freight as, Oh, I don't want to bring it in because I'm going to pay higher freight. Um, where I'm located, I'm going to pay a higher freight no matter what. I mean, I'm in the middle of nowhere in the middle of every warehouse. So, uh, it is what it is. And freight's freight's part of the business. Freight's going to be a cost. I mean, you can reduce certain things, but it's a cost of doing business. So, and I think the difference on ours, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd like to maximize the truck, certainly. But I, I feel like the difference with us, though, too, is that your freight is almost twice what mine is right. because of where you're located versus where I'm located. So, yeah. Okay. Do you think other stores see it the same way? I mean, you guys, pretty pretty good volume. Um, you know, let's say the lower volume stores, do you think they're, they're of the like opinion? Because I... I I get into stores not as much as, you know, certainly the operations team, but I've always been curious behind it. And I always ask the question, it's like, oh, truck's coming. And I'm like, but from a consumer standpoint, you know, there's opportunities to, you know, to give them more. It's like, why don't you take that, find a split partner and get more product out there? I was always been, you know, kind of confused by, you know, some of the answers I've got. I would I would think that most stores have a similar uh, viewpoint on it that we do. However, that being said, I mean, I've heard a lot of, in my opinion, uh, wild takes on things <laughs> over the years mm-hmm. where, you know, uh, yeah, people say all kinds of stuff and you're like, oh, oh okay. Uh, you know, I mean, whatever works for you, you know type of thing. Um, I would say most stores would try to uh, maximize their freight, right? And minimize it where they can, but would not do it in a way that's going to sacrifice sales. Uh, So, but you actually probably have better visibility on that than we do because, you know, it's just, we only talk to the people that we talk to. We don't see what everybody's doing where you, you have more of that high end, you know, kind of a thing. So, yeah, well, I I look at store budgets and, you know, stores that are, you know, X percent below their budget. I'm like, all right, what's, is the budget bad? Yeah. Now I will tell you though, uh, it's actually gotten good again, but man, we were, we went through like a two year period where our deli budget was like $30,000 too high. Our, uh, produce budget was, a good $15,000 too low. I mean, it was, they were pretty whacked there for a while. And they never really got adjusted with not only uh, inflation, but your sales. I mean, I think my budget on my S 400 stayed the same for years and never really moved until a month or two ago, probably. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. They kind of kicked back in. Okay. Next question. Go ahead. Um, Man, I've seen a lot of successful operators. Um, uh, over the years, what do you, what is success for you guys? What uh, and and what operators currently in the system do you look up at and say, 
wow, um, you know, I, I really like what they're doing. Uh, I, I will start with this. So what success looks like to me, I, I think it's the the end of the day, how you feel about what you did for your store, your people, your community. I, I think it's an internal feeling of feeling like I did better than I thought I could have. Uh, I made a difference with people. Um, y- you just have that internal feeling. Obviously, the easy metrics are going to be sales and margin and comp and everything else. But But I think internally is what gets me feeling better and better about what I've done and what I'm doing and everything else. And my wife would tell you the same thing. We, we feel better about what we can do for our people. It makes us feel like this is much more than kind of just a job. As far as looking up to, oh man, there's, there's a ton of people. Um, I'm just going to say this real quickly. Marketing ideas, merchandising ideas, Hannah and James over at Gresham. And I know we all look at their pictures on Facebook. They are just... Uh, they are ultra competitive to say the least and, and what they do with things in their store um, really sets kind of the benchmark of what you kind of want to uh, copy in your store. So that's one person as far as um, just merchandising that kind of we look up to Mike. Well, I think success changes, right? Like how, how you view success changes over time. So uh, when I first when I first got into this, um, success was growing, just growing sales, making money, right? Getting to a point where I felt like, you know, we were we were good uh, financially. Um, once once I felt like we were on that path, uh, success is like, okay, well, how do we make not just us good, but our our employees good? too right how do we how do we create an environment that people enjoy working at you know we at we have 32 employees now and you know we're responsible for their financial livelihood so at this point it's not just about what i can make it's it's what about what can i do for my team secondly uh and then the last thing on success i think you know once you've taken care of yourself and you've you're taking care of your team it's you know how do you how do we take care of our the community as a whole, right? And our our shoppers, and you know the cities that we're in, and and that type of thing. And so, as I've as I've grown in grocery outlet, it's it's become you know it started out as me, then it went to we, and now I'm looking at us. If that makes sense. Well, man, I love that answer. Um, and when you think about, you know, our mission, right, it's, uh, you know, touching lives for the better. Um, there's a greater, you know, it's always about the money, right, guys? You know, we're not, we're in it to, um, to make money, right? But there, you can do that and have a greater calling at the same time, uh, you know, providing people that are less fortunate than we are with uh, high quality products that save them money. Uh, take care of your associates uh, and take care of other people in your community. Um, and that's what, that's literally what attracted me to grocery outlet and has kept me here for 30 years. It's it sure there's, you know, we're profit oriented, uh, but we do a lot of other good things at the exact same time. So that's, uh, that's a great answer. And I, I've always been, you know, just amazed by, um, the independent operator agreement and and the difference that you guys make. I know what 
what we do is important, right? You can't, you got to have gas in the car, right? It starts with the product. Uh, but I've seen operators move in and out of stores. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, sales are up 20, 30, 40, 50%. The demographics didn't change. The product mix didn't change that much. The environment, you know, the, uh, you know, Winco didn't close down. And it was the magic of what that operator did. I've told the story a thousand times to uh, suppliers that we're trying to partner with because this independent operator agreement is a great selling point. I always call it, you know, David and Goliath out chain the locals and out local the chains, right? It's not just speak, it's, it's, it's real. And, you know, when uh, Nate and Don Harrell took over the Selena store and then the Watsonville store and grew sales from 60 to 200,000, you ask yourself, how the hell did they do that? How do they do it? And you ask them, <laughs> really simple, clean, well-merchandised, great customer service, understanding what the customer wants, and over-delivering it. Man, that sounds so easy, but, man, it, it's that's hard to do. Uh, it, it amazes me. And, you know, they're, you know, they're at the top of the food chain. I, I know them both well. They've done incredibly well, you know, uh, Nate, you know, he was an old, I think he was a Frito-Lay, you know, route driver. Um, at one point couldn't rub two pennies together. Um, didn't graduate from high school. He's one hell of a businessman. He is a true entrepreneur. That is the American dream. It's just, it's gives him goosebumps. Just, you know, thinking about the success of these ad. He's worked pretty hard for it. I don't think anyone's ever given him anything. And his and his partner, uh, Dawn, she's freaking badass also. Four stores. Oh my gosh, they're giving up some of them because, you know, they're dialing it back and their son's going to take over the business. What an amazing story. Uh, the folks in Geary, I remember when Travis and Rose took over the store. We were, you know, going into our second private equity transaction. We were touring the investors, were the potential partners through their store. And I got there early and, you know, they had just opened a store. It's a brand new shiny penny. It's size of a postage stamp. And it came out of the gates a little bit under 200. I said, hey, close your eyes and think about, you know, five years from now and what this store will be doing. Shoot, it's doing 400,000. The box is like under 13,000 square feet, no back room, 18% produce penetrate. How do they do it? They're magicians, right? And so, sure, I, I want to I wanna stand up and take a lot of credit for, you know, success. And it's far from what we do from a product standpoint. You guys are magical. Uh, and the great operators um, you know, they can make, you know, lemonade out of lemonade. I'm, I'm in awe of, of what you guys do on occasion. Um, which leads me to the question that you ask, you know, what, what other job would I want at grocery outlet? I, I'd love to have mm -hmm. courage to be an operator, uh, and have the impact in the communities that you guys do. I don't want one. I want five or six stores. I want to <laughs> be the new Nate and Dawn Harrell. But, uh, man, it's so cool uh, what you guys do. I have tremendous amount of respect uh, 
for what you guys do. And I've talked to enough operators, been in enough stores that know that, uh, you know, we're here to support your creativity and your entrepreneurialism. And, and we all will be successful if we do that in the right way. Well, gee, Steve, I think the operator as a collective unit, the operator community as a collective unit is blushing right now. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well, <laughs> well, it should be. Uh, and there's lots of, there's lots of uh, folks that are, incredibly successful that and the ones that are new in their stores or have challenges you know all things aren't created equal there could be competition issues and low awareness my advice is find a find someone that's successful and learn from what those guys do that's the beauty of this community and that's the impact that you guys i think have on this podcast uh there's so many nuggets that people could list if they listen and learn and they reach out, they can, they can have the same level of success. They can magical. It really is. Um, And it's not just, you know, the corporate guy saying something nice to you guys. It's uh, (laughs) been around for a long time and I've seen, you know, there's so many Larry Brown and, and, uh, and Ferndale. I mean, what a magician he is. Uh, there's there's so many great operators, not just Grass Valley, you know, the highest volume. They're incredible. And, you know, Santa Rosa, you know, what Dave does here, Benny Tiapon and, and Pedlam, I can go on and on. There's, you know, just tremendous. And everyone does it a little bit differently, which is great, right? But the consistency of, you know, that simple thing that Nate taught told me, clean, full, well-merchandised store with great customer service, that's like the common denominator, right? That's like the table stakes. Easy to say, hard to do. Hard. It seems like, you know, we're not rocket scientists, right? We're grocers, right? Um, It's the the big difference between when I first started and we didn't have produce, we didn't have fresh meat and we didn't have nosh. Uh, we didn't have racking in the store. We had stores that just dropped pallets and the, you know, where skew count was like 1100. Uh, business was successful back then. People were making good money labor. It was a different model. It's the same model. It's just kind of evolved over time. Uh, we'll continue to evolve. Uh, private label will be part of that. Uh, new geographies are part of that. Technology enhancements will be part of that. But at the end of the day, uh, it's about the operator and being successful and providing value. There's certain things that, uh, you know, haven't changed in, in the 30 years that I've been here. Have we gotten better? Yeah, we've gotten better. Uh, we've gotten a lot better. Are we all the way there yet? No way. There's still a lot of headspace for us to um, evolve and be better um, as a, as an organization. And I tell you right now, um, you know, it's going to be great to watch the journey as it has been for the last 30 years. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up with a uh, last, last question for you. And this, oh, cool. this may be either the hardest question or the easiest. Ooh, so, all right. I mean, it could go either way here. All right, okay? all right. So get back in the way back machine. All right. Okay. You're, you're a buyer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Making buys, wheeling, dealing, getting those relationships going. Right. Yep. And uh, Mr. Eric Lindbergh was a buyer with you, I believe. Uh, Is that correct? Uh, actually, ha ha, Eric, I joined the company before Eric. Uh-huh. Eric followed me for a while. 
Okay. Okay. I started producing and he came in after me. And for some reason, he just catapulted over me. And, you know, yeah. yeah. I'm not sure how that happened. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Anyways. Okay. So if you put your buying resume up against Lindbergh's buying resume, who's the better buyer? It was. Uh, me, of course. Okay, easiest question of the, <laughs> of the day. <laughs> now, Lenny was Lenny was good. He, you know, he's he connects with people, right, from a relationship standpoint. So we got that basic element. He's a shrewd guy. He he was uh, he was a good buyer. I was very happy at some point to take his buyer number away, and so we took that away a, a long time ago. And he's doing quite well. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, uh, so Lenny is the. That's the Lindy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We got, we got a lot of history. We got a lot of history. Oh, okay. What's up, Dylan? Well, nothing. I know we're kind of wrapping up, but you also said you had a buyer question for us. You still have time for that. I don't want to, I don't want to short you. Oh, dude. It's, it's, I'd love to hear your perspective on it. So let me give you these details and then you guys tell me what the right retail and how do we make this, uh, take a, 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 great buy to make it an exceptional buy. So um, uh, the product is wine. Uh, it's uh, 50,000 cases total, pretty equal between uh, Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, Rosé, Cabernet, and a Rosé Brut, so a sparkling wine. Uh, it's out in the marketplace uh, for $17.99 to $22.99. Uh, what is the right retail uh, at Grocery Outlet? It's non-branded, but it it has a lot of accolades. Uh, it's a current vintage. Uh, and then I'm going to give you some more information and then tell me how you would negotiate price a deal um, and how do you make it sing. So start, so you know what the value is. This, 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 is, what, this is what a buyer does. You start with this is value. A lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. So yeah. this, this is the empathy thing. So I want you yeah. to I want you to be a buyer. So let's yeah. simplify it and say it's $19.99. And you know inherently what we want to save our customers, right? 40 to 60%. But it's 50,000 cases. It's a lot. Right. It's a lot. So when uh when inherently when uh, a, uh, a company comes to grocery outlet with a large quantity. We take that in consideration along with value and we know we want to take it all. And so the price and the cost go down so that we can move this product faster. Let me ask you one question. Do you guys ever know their cost when you're negotiating? Uh, we inherently, we know, we, we okay. know what the cost of, you know, glass and freight, right? And- and we, we know roughly, so let's say their cost, if they're selling it for $19.99 and it's it's somewhere around the $9 to $10 uh, area per unit, per sell unit, $8 to $9. So gotcha. that's good. You got you to gotta understand, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what the cost of goods is. So that's a good thing. So how do you go from there? And you want to take it all, or do you just want to take a little bit of it? So and fifty thousand cases would yeah, be what forty forty one hundred and what sixty six cases. Oh no, not bottles. Fifty thousand cases, cases, not just bottles. 50, cases. Oh yeah. man, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's uh, that's six hundred thousand bottles. Okay, well, uh, first, yeah, I think 
First, Go I would ahead, order man. that many private labels, slap those on, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're already finished goods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say uh, $4.99 is what we're trying to retail. Okay. Like it. Significant savings, lower yep. price point because you want to turn, you want to sell and that's, a lot. And that's, it's trying to get through it. And the other thing with wine, it's a little bit trickier, is that, you know, wine does have a date that wine can go bad. So yeah. I guess, especially with whites, which oh, you're yeah. describing some of them. Yep. So I would say a big part of that, <clears throat> I'm assuming if they're trying to move that amount, but you know, how close to end of life are we, you know, are we, even Current if we finish. have, even if we have a lot of time left, it's not like we want to sit on it for tons of time either. But um, yeah, that's, I, I I'm, I'm going to the four ninety nine. I like it. Point. Like it. Now, is it is it summertime by chance? Because you mentioned sparklings. Oh, more- we uh, this deal is done. We oh, oh, bought it. Okay, um, uh, as of yesterday. So, uh, but I'd like to get your perspective. So, four ninety nine. Yeah. I like your thinking. So we're saving the customer a mm-hmm. lot of money. What kind of margin do you want to make off that four ninety nine? What excites you? Well. Um, as much as possible. No. <laughs> um, I would say, I would say, you know, nowhere below 30% on the wine. I think if we're, if we're positioning it as a super buy for people and we can stay above the 30, uh, whilst getting that price down, mm-hmm. that would be, that would be great. I think if we're going down below the 30, then I almost want it lower than the the five bucks. Uh, and my benefit is going to be that I'm really just ripping this wine out okay. to people. And they're walking away. I might not walk away with the margin dollars in my pocket, but they're walking away going, that is a super great deal. Hmm. Okay. okay. So, so for me, um, I would be, wanting almost to take a little bit less margin and have it even a better price. So if you're saying, Hey, I want you to take a hundred cases, two pallets, because every store is going to basically have to take a hundred and what, 10 cases. I'm going to say, make it three ninety nine. I'd be willing to take a 25 margin on it and take two pallets. If you tell me I'm going to make a 35 margin, 40 margin, but it's going to be $6. I'm not going to want two pallets. And if you want me to blow it out, it's got to be a better price. So I would say, I mean, I, I hate to say under 30, but at $3.99, that's a wine that gets people in your store. It's kind of like the whole Coke deal we talked about. Uh, you can create a lot of excitement over that. So, so I would say if you want me to take two pallets of it, 110 cases, 25 margin at $3.99, and then I can decide at that point, do I want to make it $4.99 and be more in that 35 margin range? Um, but I'm not going to want so much wine as an average store at 5 or $6 because I'm not going to be able to move through two cases and... I don't have the back room for that. So yeah. two things. A, you just said exactly what I said. Nope. By the way. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I said similar. I said similar, but I would also take <laughs> I would take a better margin. I said. You said you'd take a less margin if it was a lower price point because then but, you could really but I, blow I it would out, need right? it. I would okay. need it at three ninety nine. Four ninety nine, I'm right. not gonna be able to move two pallets right. worth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Fair, fair I, enough. I, I like the way you, I like the way you guys think uh about this deal. So you're both hired. Uh, and I'll, 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 I'll put you in the beer and wine department, which is m- one of my favorites because they start drinking at like eight o'clock in the morning. They get their samples in there in the back room drinking. So does Mike. It's, it's <laughs> such a cool job. Well, here's the reality. Uh, uh, I didn't give you all the information. Uh, the company is in trouble 
and they made the biggest mistake by telling us that information, right? So they're desperate, right? And so we're going in for the kill. Uh, we asked what they were looking for on the product, um, and they wanted roughly uh, $2 uh, per unit, $24 a case. But they're in trouble, and they need to take. we need to take all of it. 50,000 case wine deals don't come across every day, and there's a cost of capital, right? Uh, whenever we buy that, we're investing our capital in it, and we may not be able to buy something else. We're taking... Uh, you know, room up in the back rooms uh, and in your stores. And so the buyer, a lot of us talked about this deal. Uh, we counter offered uh, for a take all deal to be significant uh, to the supplier because they didn't want a, us to nickel and dime it. To minimize our risk, we offered $12 a case, which is a dollar per wow. unit. And so once you buy something, you know, really cheap, you have to have an end retail in mind, but you got to get the deal first. So a little bit back and forth, uh, we compromised uh, and we ultimately bought it for, I think, $17.50 ish. And so that's, let's call it a buck 50. So at a buck 50, at a buck 50, including freight, we could easily go out at 299 and make a good margin. And then we think about from a consumer standpoint, uh, it's current vintage, it's non-branded, 299's uh, you know, what's wrong with it? What's wrong with it, right? So I think we're going to land uh probably on the whites at 399, potentially 299 and on the reds probably 499 and make a lot of margin on it. But nonetheless, we need to distribute it and have you guys sell it. I want to figure out how I can get convince every store to do exactly what you said, Dylan, except maybe another pallet. How do you take three pallets of it? How do you highlight it in your store? How do you sell uh, two or three cases a day and move through this, this huge inventory? I was up in the, the Flavel store, and Joel was Have you guys ever been in that store? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He, he has wine on his, on his freaking power wall. I'm like, why do you do that? Cause I sell 20 cases a week when I do that. Very few stores do that. I want to figure out how I encourage stores not to take a layer or four cases of it, but to take a meaningful amount, sign it, promote it, sell the hell. And it's really good product. Think of it as a cheap man, the Chardonnay, which I tried, it's a it's a kind of a poor man's like uh, you know ZD Chardonnay. It's a malolactic Chardonnay, oaky, buttery, easy to drink, yummy, yum, yum. Right? It's a, and it's a current vintage. It's a, it's a it's one of the best buys, uh, you know. I think uh, this year, but we still got to sell it and get it in. I think the buyers did a fabulous job on it. And thanks for thanks for your input. All right. Well, listen, you've come here for an answer to that question. I'm going to give you that answer. How do you get stores to order this thing in quantity yeah i'm gonna we're gonna communicate the hell out it's of the real deal. no even better it's real yeah. easy okay yeah. oh. you have hank force it out to him no more problems you know <laughs> you know you, you'd mentioned you know it's a it's a decent wine i think if you tell operators there's a three pallet minimum 
and it's going to be a 70% margin, which would be a $5 bottle at a buck 50 cost. I think you're going to have so many operators jump on a 70 margin wine um, that they know they can actually mark down if they want it to $3.99. I mean, I would take three. I would probably, no, my wife would kill me. I probably would take five pallets. I'm going to hold. Well, as you should. There's there's additional costs. There's a freight to get into our warehouse, up to your stores, but the margin won't be quite 70. Uh, it'll be over 50. Okay. But remember, Mike said he'd be willing to take on more freight. So yeah, problem so there solved. Go. There you go. Okay. okay. All right. All right. Done, well, done. Steve, thanks for joining us today on the podcast. It's been a, it was really great talking to you. I, I enjoyed it very much, sir. Yeah, I did too. Thanks. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, I'll send you a couple of names from the purchasing department. Oh, one other question. So yeah, yeah. Who who uh, who came up with uh, with the? Uh, let me let me give me my rendition of it. Uh, two discount grocers with a microphone. <laughs> who came up with the rap on that? That would who, be me. That would be you? me. Yeah, that oh, was me. Good. Yeah. Oh wow. I, uh, I love it. I I found this app that uh, you know makes your voice not sound terrible. And uh, I recorded it and I sent it to Dylan. I was like, hey, uh, listen to this. <laughs> oh, wow. I love it. love it. Again, thank you guys. Uh, you know, uh, and I look forward to listening to all your other future uh, podcasts. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Well, thanks very much, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Have a, have a good rest of your day, sir. All right. Nice. Take care. Bye. All right, so there's uh, Steve. That was a that was a nice conversation. Steve's got a lot to a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm I'm starting to sense a trend with uh, these corporate people of of turning the tables on us and asking us questions. Right. I was trying to take notes, and and I'm like, uh oh. Um, hence why I, I think our answers were very similar. Um, you know, one thing we forgot to ask him his quote. Oh, dang so, nabbit. Uh, okay. Get him back on. Uh, get him back on. Yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, we'll 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 have to bring it up in the next episode. Well, I'll, I'll get the uh, his quote from him after the fact, and and uh, yeah, we'll throw it, we'll throw it in there. But uh, you know, we we've had a lot of guests and a lot of different things we've we've talked to everyone about. Uh, it, it's it's so nice to talk to everyone you know across the board with a different view, a different idea, um, what they do. And, and, you know, everyone speaks so highly of the company talking to him was just, it's refreshing and, and to say the least, and just nice to hear again, our corporate people talk about our, our place, like it's their own, like they want to be here. They want to be on the cast. I mean, it's, it's, it is humbling to be part of this kind of company. You know, we've said that many times, but. Absolutely. But the Steve and, and corporate have had their day in the sun now and looking forward, we're getting back on the operator train here, to, you know, so on the next podcast, do you want to reveal who our next guest is? We do. We have, we have two guests. We have Dan and Sarah Mills from Oregon city. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the most recent Jim Reed award winners. So mm -hmm. that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Dan's, Dan's got a, a long history with grocery outlet as well. Kind of an interesting, uh, used to be a DSM then moved to, uh, an operator. So he's, he's definitely seen both sides of it, but at this point he falls solely on the operator side. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to talking to them. Right. And that'll be in two weeks this time, correct? 
Yes, in all two right. weeks, back on that train. So, all right, sir. Well, it was a, a real pleasure doing the podcast with you. I know you got to get get into that store. I do. Yeah. Yes. So, so, until next time. Until next time, my friend. Play the outro. Really, really do appreciate you listening to the podcast. So thank you again.